Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Last week we did the first half of Psalm 34. Today I will continue from verse 9 to verse 22. We looked last week at the things that God would do, how the psalmist praised God, kept his mind always on God and his boasts on God. Today we want to talk about those who fear the Lord and those who cry out to God and see what God does for us. So let's turn now to Psalm 34. We'll read from verse, um, verse 9 to verse 22. Let us pray. Father, speak your truth to us. Build up our faith that God, as we understand and read the testimony of the psalmist, we too may experience what he experienced, the joy of being delivered by you, the joy of resting in you, of trusting in you. God, because life is difficult, we pray then that you teach us how to turn to you, to rest in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 34 verse 9 O fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will stay, slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. From verse 9 to verse um, verse 11 talks about the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? Verse 9 says, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And then in verse 11 it says, Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What then is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is first about great awe of God. When we believe that God is more powerful than any other, that is the beginning of the fear of God. And why is it then that those who fear God have no lack and those who do not have lack? Well, when we fear God, we also acknowledge that God is all-powerful. When we acknowledge that He's so powerful, He is above all others, then when we rest in Him, we can have confidence in Him. Imagine if we saw God as a huge boulder. When the storms come, we can hide behind that boulder and we feel safe. If we were contemptuous of God, if we treated God lightly, if we took His name in vain and used Him, used His name profanely, or or did things regard disregarding that God is real, 
Many of us, many Christians have done that. We use God's name any way we want. We say, God has spoken this to me. We, In the name of God, we cheat people. In the name of God, we hurt others. There is really no fear of God. So we are using God to our advantage. Not turning to God, but using His name to our advantage. Many charlatans have said, God has said this and cheated people of money. They have said, well, if you give to God, which is to give to me, then you enrich me and you enrich God. We, we use God for all sorts of purposes that are dishonest and dishonorable. That is having a very low view of God because it tells us that God's name is only used for our benefit. We can manipulate God's name. We can use it to frighten people, to cheat people, to intimidate people. But in our hearts, then we don't believe that God is a powerful, awesome, fearsome God. And when we do that, we see God as a tiny pebble, unable to wreck just, bring justice to the oppressed, unable to discipline us or even punish us. A small God. When our God is small in our eyes, how then do we hide behind this God? When we have a very high, odd view of God, then we see our God as who He is, powerful, almighty. You know, there is this paradox. We talk very much about the merciful God, God being kind, God being compassionate, God being forgiving. And all this is very true. But there is also a need to understand God in a different way, as a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And this, mind you, comes from the New Testament. We often think New Testament is about grace, New Testament is about forgiveness, New Testament is about the tenderness of God. And yet in this passage, the writer to Hebrews says, for God is a consuming fire. But why? Why was, did he say that? He said that not so much that we should, he is a terrifying God, although it does say we should be in awe of him. But he's saying that we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. If our God is a powerful, consuming God, we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The greater our fear of God, the greater our confidence in God, the less our fear of others. It's as simple as that. The more you fear God, the less you fear others. Because when you know that we have a God who is a consuming fire and that his kingdom cannot be shaken, then nothing else shakes you. Because you know your God is greater than them all. So Hebrews 12 talks about the terrifying sight of God in verse 21 that Moses says, I tremble with fear. When we are afraid, when we fear God, it is a great thing. Because it means that we are in such awe of God, we tremble before the Almighty God whose kingdom cannot be shaken. And then, paradoxically, we grow confident because we have such a powerful God. And so the psalmist says, O children, let me teach you to fear the fear of the Lord. We too must learn to fear our God, not because he's unjust, not because he's vengeful, but because he is a fearsome, very powerful God. In C.S. Lewis's uh, 
lion, witch, and the wardrobe. Saint Louis said that God is not safe. God is dangerous, but He is loving. He is good. He's good, but He is not safe. You don't play with the lion. You don't play with God. Do not trifle with God. But God is compassionate. And so, in verse, from verse 12 to verse 14, the psalmist then talks about what it means to fear God. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Well, all of us want to live many days and that we may see good. And what is the answer to that? He says, Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Let's not mock God. Let's not do deceitful things, um, evil things, speak evil with our tongues and lips, speaking deceit, imagining that God will not care. Because He does. And God is a consuming fire. We live both in a time of grace as well as with fear and trembling. What a paradox. On the one hand, we can be very secure in our God, our loving God who forgives all our sins. Each time we sin, He forgives us. And on the other hand, though, we do not play with Him. We do not trifle with God and think, oh, He wouldn't bite, He wouldn't burn, it's alright. Because He is a consuming fire. And He does. And so the psalmist says, stay away from evil. Because if you fear God, you will not play with God. You will not play with fire. You will not play with God. It's exactly like fire. Fire is a wonderful tool. We use it to cook. We use it to keep warm. We use it for wonderful things. It's a fantastic tool. But no one plays with fire. Likewise with God. God will always be with us, loving us, caring for us. Like a gentle father and mother cares for his children. But don't play with him. Do not trifle with God. And therefore, the psalmist says, live without evil in your mouth and in your life. Avoid evil. Please God. Love God. Stay away from all that is deceitful, all that is evil. What does God do then to those who are righteous and those who fear him? First of all, his years... He inclines his ears to the cry. Verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his eyes toward the cry. Verse 17, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. What does it mean to cry to the Lord? It means that we don't just ask God, you know, a matter of factly, Hey, God, give me this, give me that. To cry to God has two elements. First, it's to acknowledge our utter helplessness. I can't handle this, God. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to speak to people lovingly. I don't know how to live my life in a good way, in an honourable way. To The first element then to, to cry out to God is to acknowledge our utter helplessness. And the second then is to acknowledge the power of God. The unworthiness of man, the ability of man, and the power of God. That allows us to cry to God. Often we think too much 
of ourselves and our abilities. And that stops us from crying to God because what's there to cry to God when you have all the resources? If someone hurts you, you've got lawyers to defend you and sue them back. If you are ill, you've got the best doctors and, the, and lots of resources, tons of money to pay for the best doctors. Because of that, often we don't cry to God. But when we realize then that nothing can help us except God, nothing can protect us or prosper us except God, then we cry to God. How I wish that all of us would depend less on ourselves, our abilities, our intellect, our, our resources, and turn instead to God and cry to Him. Because when we cry to God, the, the source of all blessings turns His eyes toward us and turns His ears towards our cry. Can you imagine if you had limited resources you say, well, I'll trust in all my resources. But the other person who says, I have none, turns the source of all power and source of all resources and says, God, provide for me. Who benefits more? Should it not be the one who has nothing but cries out to God who has everything? So we learn to acknowledge that none of our many resources actually can help us. Because even if we have all the money to buy things, we don't have the ability to love, we don't have the ability to be kind, we don't have the ability even to treasure that which we have. At the end of the day, we turn to God and say, God, help me receive the gifts that you've given. Help me to live my life full of joy. Help me to rest in you, to trust in you. So the first thing is that God inclines his ears towards our cry and his eyes towards the righteous. Secondly, it says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Have there been times when you so crushed because you've lost someone dear? Perhaps you've lost a loved one, a partner, someone you, a child, someone you hold so dear. Or perhaps there were times when you lost a dream. You had dreams of becoming a professional, something other, a career. You had dreams of making it big in life. And all of those were crushed because you failed, because of an accident that that made it impossible for you to achieve those dreams. Because of circumstances, losing money, being cheated, any kind of thing that dashes your hopes and your dreams. Have you ever had that? become so broken-hearted because you see no other avenue for joy, for happiness. You think that your life is over because all that I've treasured, all that I've aimed for and longed for is now gone. Some of you have experienced that and have turned to God and realized that it's not the end because God comforts you and not just comforts you, God will deliver you out of your troubles. He's near to the brokenhearted. When Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, he meant it just that way. For those who are brokenhearted, those who are crushed in their spirits, when they turn to God, they discover how close God is to them. And that life has not ended for them, but a power, life of power and plenty has just begun for them. We think of Paul, Paul and the thorn in the flesh that he could not get rid of, how he pleaded with God 
and God refused to take it off him. But what he discovered was that God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for in your weakness is my strength. He discovered that if he had just trusted his own strength, he, there was a limit to what he could do. But when he felt utterly helpless and broken and crushed, then he discovered a powerful God with him. So my encouragement to you, some of you now are going through a time where your spirit is crushed, when you're so hurt you don't know how to stand again, when so broken when you don't know what hope there is for you. Turn to God and cry out to Him because He's near to the brokenhearted. He will comfort you. Believe that and turn to God. And then, the final point I want to highlight is this. In verse 19, it says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 21 says, Affliction will slay the wicked. As long as we are on earth, there will be affliction to the good and to the bad. Many have asked, why is it that when I became a Christian, life became so hard? The reality is that life did not become hard when we became Christians. Life was hard and always will be to the good and to the bad, to the righteous and to the wicked. Life is difficult. And at different times of our journey, we'll experience losses, disappointments, heartbreaking moments. All of us will experience that. Whether you're good or you're bad, you will experience it. The difference is this, that when you turn to God, you will find that He will give you that resilience. He will deliver you from all your troubles. Verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. None of us will be exempt from afflictions from trouble, from problems. But when we turn to God one by one, God will deliver us. That's what makes the difference. The wicked, on the other hand, will be slain by the affliction. Affliction will slay the wicked because when affliction hits them, there is no backup, there is no defense, there is no shelter, no protection for them. They stand on their own and affliction will destroy them. But when you turn to God and when God is your rock, your fortress, your protection, then you can be assured that God will deliver you from your problems, each one that comes to you. I hope that this psalm means something to some of you or all of you. That those who fear God, those who have a very high view and odd view of God, discover that we have a powerful God who watches over you. We discover then that even when you're broken hearted, even as you cry to him, he will come to you, he's close to you, and he will deliver you. Let this promise lead you to dare to ask God, to cry to God, and to say, God, help me, for I am unable anymore to handle the problems that I have, but you are more than able. Let us pray. Father, let this psalm be truth to our lives. I pray for those who struggle with disappointments, with broken spirit. I pray for those who 
are in deep trouble now and find no way out. I pray, Lord, that they will find you as the mighty fortress who protects them, who stands by them, close to them, will deliver them from all the troubles. Let this then, Lord, be a testimony by each one cries out to you, that they too may be able to say with joy and gratitude, when I cried to the Lord, He delivered me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in and hope to see you again. But before that, um, let me just encourage you to um, sign up for... You see, our church is now embarking on reaching out to migrant workers. We're starting uh, one now, a uh, medical checkup uh, on the 13th of November. We need volunteers, but it's not that we are begging for volunteers. What we want is for you to begin to experience the joy of serving those who need our friendship, those who need some of the things that we can do to help them. And then on um, 17th of December, we are throwing a party for them. I encourage you to join in this just to mingle, just to befriend, just to start a relationship with them. We hope that this will be a more lasting, long-lasting relationship with migrant workers. Come and befriend them and get to know them. Learn from their lives as they learn from ours. So encourage you to see this as something of a challenge, something that will teach you much, help us to grow very much in our lives, in our faith. So do sign up for both of these events. And uh, well, God bless you and goodbye.